to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Welcome to another special segment of the Crypto Skeptic here on LOA Today, and I'm with Mikhail Thorup, who's, uh, he's got an interesting story, guys. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a really interesting story. We've heard a lot of good interviews over the years that I've been doing the LOA Today podcast, and since we started doing the Crypto Skeptic, there's been some good stuff there. But this is like an extension of many of the stories that we've heard in the past. Um, We've heard rags to riches stories. We've heard crash and burn stories that rose like the phoenix. We've had all kinds like this. I think this is the first time, though, that I've interviewed somebody who dropped out of school at age 12 to become a millionaire. You don't hear that story every day. So, Mikkel, first of all, thank you for joining me on the show. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Walt. I'm very excited about jumping into today's conversation. What an interesting show you have. I think this is just great. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it very much. And uh, yeah, well, we, we're interested in your story. So let, tell us a little bit more. How do you drop out of school at age 12? First of all, I didn't <laughs> know you could even get away with that. And then secondly, what happened? How that you turned into a millionaire? Wow. Sure. So what ended up happening was I, I was born in southwestern Ontario. I'm, I'm from Canada. And when I was in grade three, I had the, the teacher pulled me out of class one day, he pulled me out of class and sat me down in a little room. And there was the principal and the resource teacher and maybe the vice principal, something like this. And they sat me down and they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Well, every day I got on a little white bus. I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, the only problem was that it was actually a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got picked on. I got in fights. I got bullied. Now, this is no woe is me. I'm a victim. Poor Mikkel, poor Mikkel. Certainly not. Like, I gave as good as I got. You know, I got hit. I hit back. I'm not going to claim otherwise in any fashion. But um, what it did was leave a very bad taste in my mouth for public education for school. So after three years of going to this quote unquote special school, I um, went back to my whole neighborhood school and I thought this is going to be amazing. My friends will have missed me so much. They're going to be so excited to see me. And I show up and you probably once again, guess what happened? All the kids started whispering and gossiping. Oh, I know Mikkel. He went to some retard school. 1980s, totally polic politically correct. You know how kids are very, very sensitive, you know, thanks guys. So, um, I started failing, um, and, uh, and I would stop going to school and then they would put me in summer school and then I'd stop going to that and I'd fail that. And somehow I'd squeak by and get into the next year. And then I'd fail and fail and fail. So I basically stopped going to school at 12 years old. And at 15, I officially dropped out. I had, I had finished earlier, like at 12 years old, I just, I wasn't going, I wasn't interested. I wasn't um, engaged whatsoever, but uh, officially I dropped out when I was 15 and I started traveling not long after that. And I started traveling and seeing the world as a teenager internationally. And it was the most amazing experience I had ever had in my life. And I started to meet all these incredible people who were doing things so different than what I had been learned or what I had been told when I was a child. And I decided at a very young age that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to base my life on exploring the world. And that's what I've done for the last 22 years. I've been traveling nonstop. 
So I visited a hundred and just under 110 countries now. I've lived in nine and I've circumnav- circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. And during this, I did a ton of research and learned different things and, and trial and error and was the guinea pig on many different types of immigration issues and tax issues and things like that. So I figured out a lot, things that no one else knows and really you cannot go to school for at all. Mm. And that's what I do for a living now. I actually help move people offshore and become expats and deal with their financial issues. And I'm not a lawyer, (laughs) not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA and I, I don't play one on television, but I actually outsource a lot of the work to the lawyers that work for me. I have full-time lawyers that work for me and, um, yeah, run a very successful company now doing exactly this. Very nice. I like that. I, I have to throw in a little comment too. I can't resist. You were told basically, they didn't actually say this outright because that was not the way it was handled in the 1980s. But for all intents and purposes, you were told you were stupid. You were told that you were, to use your very uh, deplorable uh, tag from that era, a retard. And when you went back to uh, join, rejoin the, the actual school again, you lived down to that reputation. You did exactly what they trained you to do, which I think is really fascinating. Well, it's interesting because you are told you can't do something and that becomes your reality, especially as a child and especially at those formative years. Now, I had some piece of me that knew that it was wrong and Mm. I knew that it was wrong so much that I stood up and removed myself from the situation, which is huge. At 12 years old, did I know that I was going to go on and build a business and have 20 staff and make <laughs> lots of money and do all these things that I wanted to do? No, I had no idea. But what I did know was the situation was wrong and I had to remove myself from that. So that is kind of the genesis of why I left school. But um, yes, I, I absolutely believe that we create everything ourselves, mm-hmm. that as long as it is within the realm of physics we can do anything and everything. I mean, my learning disability, quote unquote, learning disability that they pulled me out of school for is dyslexia, which is in this day and age, we know is actually really, really common. It's Mm. not a very big deal. And you know what? I've read over 3000 books in my life. (laughs) So much for that diagnosis. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, you can't read. There's something wrong with you. You can't read. And so what do I do? I work harder than anybody else and I find mediums that speak to me. Now, I, I, I will preface it saying that probably 50% of those books were audible or audio books. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's still reading. I mean, I just I think it is a- for most people. There, I mean, yeah. audio books are popular these days. So, I mean, if all the people listening to audio books aren't reading, then what are they doing? Well, it's that thing, you know, when you're supposed to fit into an exact type of mold. And at that right. age, reading a physical book, especially when, you know, they put you up in the front of the class and want you to read in front of everybody. And you're already nervous and you're already scared about these things. Yeah. It's really difficult. Now I'm a very audio type of person. I have a podcast of my own, the expat money show. We're doing episode 200 this week. We've been going cool. for six Congratulations. years. Thank yeah. you. I'm very excited about that. So audio really speaks to me. So, you know, I've read thousands of books, but quote unquote dyslexia enough that you pull me out of school. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like it's it just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest, public schools are ridiculous, but that's not our topic today. We could spend a whole show on that one, but we won't do that one. Instead, we're going to talk about, well, we're, we're doing the crypto skeptic, which is tied into the concept of cryptocurrency. And those of my listeners who've been tuning into those episodes have an idea of where we've been talking about it. Um, 
in in general, really, the topic is about the monetary system. And anyone interested in the law of attraction realizes money is a big part of that. If you want to live an abundant lifestyle, you need money. And that's just the bottom line. That's the world that we live in. So, of course, people aren't interested in money, which is why the whole cryptocurrency subject is an interesting subtopic for us. But there's also more to it than that, because what we're really talking about is lifestyle. And you developed, um, you just described in very few words, how you developed a new lifestyle for yourself with no guidance, no training, there were no, there was, there were, there were no guidebooks to read. You, you couldn't go get coached on. How do I go do this? I mean, there was nobody to teach you. You basically taught yourself, which by the way, I applaud you for it. But tell us a little bit about some of what you learned doing all that. Because I mean, if you have built up a successful business where you have lawyers working for you, how cool is that? If you have built that up, you've learned a lot along the way. Share some of that stuff. Yeah, I would describe myself as an autodidact polymath. I am an expert. Not bad in- for somebody who's dyslexic, by the way, to come up with that term. I have to just say that. <laughs> say that again, sorry. <laughs> I said not bad for somebody who's dyslexic to come up with a term like that. That's really yeah. Great. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I would consider myself an autodidact polymath, basically meaning that I am an expert in many different fields, more of a Renaissance man type of thing. Mm. Now, I think that this is really important because in today's day and age, we have so many specialists. We have specialists who can do one particular thing at a very, very deep level, but everything else in their life is in many cases falling apart or is is not in balance or not in harmony with anything else that they do. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in this at all. Or for me, it has not worked in 22 years of traveling and seeing the, the world. This has not been good. So what I am always trying to do is set myself up for success in all fields. So I try to always put myself in a place where things are going to be automatically successful. I don't want to be one of these people who only specializes in one thing. I can do brain surgery, but I don't know how to tie my shoes or I can't wash the dishes or I can't care for myself. You know, I'm, I'm a husband and a father and a son and I have... Um, you know, my mother lives with us. I have two children and I have my wife that I care for all of them. And we're in a very good position where I can take care of that, but I can build, uh, a fantastic business and a business that fits my lifestyle because I have a good home life and I have a good home life because I treat my wife with respect and I take care of her and I care her for her feelings. You know, there's all these different layers. I try not to look at just, you know, controlling my willpower on one specific thing. I'm more concerned about making sure that I'm always in the right frame of mind and have the right mental state to be able to deal with the situations that are in front of me. So have I slept enough? Have I ate ate properly? Do I exercise? Is everything taken care of? Are all the people that are around me, are they in a good emotional state? If my mother or my children are upset and they're screaming and they have stress, then how am I going to be able to perform at my best? Right. So these are the types of things that I try to set up in my life which allows me to learn and study and do good work, which allows me to be valuable in the marketplace and help so many other people realize their dreams. Does that all make sense? I'm trying to unpack it and go through it kind of line by line how my brain works. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, if I were to summarize it in two words, I would say mindset and balance. And mindset is a topic we talk about all the time here on the program. So I'm thrilled that you're bringing that one in and balance. Well, yeah, if you, if your life is out of balance, it's going to show up in a lot of different ways. And if your life is in balance, well, that's going to show up in a lot of different ways. So first of all, congratulations on discovering all that through your own means. What is it 
mean to you though? I mean, when you think about those two terms, because I, I kind of summarized your stuff into, into two words, but when you think about mindset and balance, what do you think about? So mindset is extraordinarily important to me. I'm very, very protective of my mental state, how I use my time and what I put into my brain. So I'm very careful about the mediums, the, the medias and the people that I associate with and spend time with. You know, mm. I will say goodbye to people, even if I've had them in my life for 20 years, if it's a toxic relationship. And the nice thing about being an expat, and maybe this is terrible to say, but when you move overseas, you really can choose exactly who you're going to be with and who you're going to spend time with. And if you have friends from high school or family members or a cousin who is not going anywhere and is not going to propel you into having your best life, then it's very easy to say goodbye. So now I've lived overseas nine, nine times, nine, nine different countries, we can say. And the best people out of every country location that I've lived with, lived in, I keep them with me. You know, I talk to them on a regular basis. I have my one friend, Lish. I've known her for the whole 20 years and I've lived in three different cities with her and she's been one of my best friends. And the people who I met and were not going the same place as me, you know, thank you very much for our time together. It's been wonderful, but goodbye, you know, and, and usually you don't even have to say goodbye. The things just kind of fade away. And I'm always thankful for everybody who's in my life because I'm always learning something, but the people who really mean something stay with me and those who are not get left aside. So that's how I think about people. And I think about content and media and movies and TVs and books and anything like that, that I put in my brain in exactly the same way. I'm very particular about what I read and who I read and um, every piece of the puzzle. And as you start to become more aware and what's happening in the world and how politics affects everything, you know, you really have to understand that your mind is a very precious and, and delicate thing. And you are going to get out of it what you put into it. So I think that probably no, no other explanation is needed on a no, program you like yours, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you did wonderful with that. That was fabulous. I love it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what it's like, uh, being an expat, um, living overseas and, or, well, actually from where your perspective are living away from home, maybe or the ex home or however you want to look at it. Um, but there, there are certainly some skill sets that you picked up along the way. And I suspect there are people who would be interested in that simply because, I mean, I'm meeting and knowing more and more people who are choosing to leave the U.S. or Canada and live in other locations for a variety of reasons, not the least of which can be economics. But tell us a little bit about what's involved there. Yeah, I mean, there's many different ways that we can look at this. So, yes, absolutely, the economic issues is a massive driver, and we can get into all of those. But maybe first I would like to touch on some of the the personal reasons that someone might want to look at being an expat. Sure. Now, you know, I, I'm from Canada. Um, you know, I spent 16 years, 17 years living in Canada. I have a pretty good understanding of what Canada is like. Mm -hmm. Now, the world is a, a very big place. There's 193 countries recognized by the United Nations. And most people seem to think that it's basically Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, North America, <laughs> you know, and then like the rest of the world is like a jungle. It's like, <laughs> jungle. you know, it's like, like savagery. And it's like, no, I mean, most countries in the world, like statistically are free countries. Most countries in the world are perfectly safe and they have 
really interesting people with culture and different perspectives and history and food and language and so much rich experiences. Now, for me, the difference between being an expat and, say, just a tourist is a tourist, you're going to go over for a couple of days or a week. Maybe you're going to be confined to a small area, you know, where other tourists are and uh, a resort or something like that. As an expat, the kind of the purpose is, is to move to a new country and learn about all these different things, meet the local people, understand things from their point of view, their perspective. I think that this is so cool. And if yeah. you can learn the other language, like even better, because if you think that normally how we interact with someone as native English speakers, we would always make them interact with us on our playing field. You know, right. they're always at a disadvantage. Absolutely. Now, I speak fluent Spanish and I, I live here in Panama City, which is where I am today. And I do not get to do that. I'm living life in Spanish on most occasions. Okay. I work in English, but all my day to day stuff, we have a nanny, a full time nanny that works at the house and a maid. And if we have to go out shopping and everything like that, I'm not forcing them to learn English or anything like that. I have to right. struggle and bumble and fumble my way through, which is amazingly humbling experience <laughs> and really challenges me as a human being. Um, you know, I've lived in Singapore. I lived in the Middle East for eight years. I lived in Australia, New Zealand. And all of these types of experience really made me grow as a human being. Mm. It's like, it's this weird thing. It's like, I like being uncomfortable. And when things get really, really comfortable, it's like, I want to change, you know, like this is too easy. I need to learn something new. I need to find something. So there's normal learning we can do from like academics. We can learn by reading books about stories and people and biographies and things like that. But a different type of learning and the one that has spoken to me most in my life is learning through experiences, putting myself in a challenging situation, working my way through it, and coming out the other end and being like, wow, that wasn't easy. However, you know, there's all these new skill sets. And I do this from the professional side, but I also do it from the personal side. So just very quickly, like I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. I met my wife in Germany. She's from mainland China. We got married in Africa. Our daughter was born in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. Our son was born in Florianopolis in Brazil. And wow. we live here in Panama. And we're buying a home in Turkey right now. So, I oh my mean, goodness. it's from all fronts. Like, I just, I just love this stuff. I love the international space and being an expat and what it means and exploring, meeting all these people. Like, I'm really passionate about it. I hope that, you know, comes through. So I, I, I feel oh, very lucky. Oh, I think about you, this. you're safe on that ground. It comes through <laughs> pretty loud and clear. Yeah. I don't think you have any problems there. I, I was caught by your statement and I don't remember exactly how you said it, but the gist of it was, I don't like not feeling uncomfortable. Like you want to feel uncomfortable. You look for yeah. it. That's not, so, that's not something most people do. Most people are looking to feel good, feel comfortable, feel like, you know, safe and secure. I like and being challenged. Like no way. I want to be yeah. challenged. I want to grow. I want to experience new things like traveling, like real, like in-depth traveling is not easy by any means. Like, I mean, I don't mean we're taking a, a flight to an all-inclusive resort. You get a little wristband and you sit on the beach for a week <laughs> and everything's provided for you. I mean, I've been to North Korea and Iran. I've drove wow. across Africa. Um, I've been to Uganda. I sit on the board of directors for a nonprofit in Uganda. Really? And, wow. you know, we do all kinds of, you know, 
you might think random things, but there is a rhyme and a reason for all of this. You know, I, I'm very purposeful about all of it, but they've all been very challenging and rich experiences. And I was thinking about it recently. Well, you know, a lot of my friends, they, they play sports or they have hobbies or something like that. And I'm like, I don't have any hobbies. And I was thinking about it for a month or two and I was like, Oh yeah, wait. Traveling is my hobby. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. what I do. You know, yeah. I do it for business. I do it in my personal life. I do it for fun. Um, I just got back from Cyprus, Rome, Turkey, North Cyprus and Lebanon like two weeks Whoa. ago. And I was in, I was in Peru about two weeks before that or three weeks before that. And I've been in Aruba this year and Uruguay and Brazil. I mean, COVID didn't slow us down. Nothing slow us down. Like we just go, 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 go. And my daughter's been all over the place. The whole family's involved. And that, that, that alone, that last about two sentences ago, that caught some people's attention. What do you mean COVID didn't slow you down? It slowed everybody else down. How did you manage that? No. So we had a bit of lockdowns here in Panama. So what we did instead was we decided to do birth tourism. So we were looking for a good place to give birth that was nice and open. My, my wife was, uh, I think five, six months pregnant and, uh, and we flew down to Brazil, which was wide open during COVID. And we went to this beautiful island called Florianopolis, Floripa. And it's a very like libertarian island in the south of Brazil. And I met some people down there and they invited us down and we gave birth there and we were there for six months. Wow. Uh, living in Brazil and learning Portuguese and, we had a, ended up having a huge group of friends and cooking churrasco every day. And so, yeah, so I have a little Brazilian baby. Uh, where else did I go? I was in Mexico. I was in uh, Costa Rica. We went to Costa Rica for three weeks in 2020 or 2021. I can't remember. Maybe 2021. Um, lots of places. Still, any place that was open, we were going to check it out. You really do underline with not just your words, but with your life, with your lifestyle, you underline in triple underline the fact that you really can choose your own life. You really can attract the kind of life you want. And it really doesn't matter what kinds of blocks or roadblocks or stones or you know, barriers that people put in your way. It really comes down to what do you believe you want to do? And are you willing to follow through on it? Well, it's funny. I had people who told me all through growing up or, or through my travels, like, this is nice. Get it out of your system while you can. <laughs> but, you know, when you want to have a career or when you want to start a family, you're going to have to come home and settle down. Well, mm. like, yeah, no, no way. <laughs> my daughter, uh, she just turned six uh, last week. She's been to 15 countries already. Wow. And she speaks uh, English. Spanish and Mandarin Chinese all at native level. And wow. now she's learning Russian. So we give her private one-on-one -on -one lessons with a Russian teacher. We homeschool our kids and, uh, and she takes her piano classes. We found a Russian, uh, someone from Russia who teaches piano here in, um, Panama. Wow. And so she does all the, all the lessons in Russian. And I mean, she's like little, international kiddo and she's always asking about when we're going away and the next trip and where we're going to be and everything like that so and at age six she's a sponge she's just soaking yeah. all this stuff up it's it's like it goes through her fingertips she doesn't even hardly have to think about it not like uh, those of us who've been around 20 30 40 years and we have a bunch of baggage we have to get past she's got let's direct channel let's just plug it right in 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, currencies too, because when you travel, sure. you are dealing with currencies. Um, and I do want to touch on the cryptocurrency just a bit because that is, you know, the, the extensive reason for the program today. Um, so first of all, do you engage in the use of cryptocurrencies in anything that you do? Yes, absolutely. You know, I use it mostly as a real life need as opposed to I'm an investor or a speculator. Okay. I I have lots and lots of crypto for Mm -hmm. sure, but I don't, I never came to crypto with like, Oh, this is my get rich quick scheme or my money making scheme. Mm. Now I can give you a couple of real life examples why it is so important. You know, it, it's very helpful for Americans and Canadians. However, when you start looking at Latin America or Africa or these types of countries that don't have banking or remittance fees, basically sending money in and outside of the country are very, very expensive, then cryptocurrencies is an absolute lifesaver. And I can, I'll give you an example. I had a recent client who needed to pay me for some immigration work here in Panama. So he went to send me money through normal bank transfer remittance from Brazil. And I think they took 20 or it was 25% of the overall, basically a tax on the remittance fee. So he had to send me 4,000 US dollars and a thousand of it went to pay for the remittance, to pay for these types of fees in this tax, a quarter of it. So straight off the bat, he's losing Right. A quarter of his money right off the bat. Now, if he had sent me in BTC and Bitcoin, it probably would have been about 73 cents or something like that. <laughs> and instead of taking, you know, three weeks and providing, you know, having to provide a ridiculous amount of documentation on why it is being sent and who it's being sent to and what is the word. And I mean, everything that we do is completely legal. There's nothing dodgy or, or in the gray zone or anything like that. I'm doing immigration work for him in Panama. It's very, very vanilla, but it's so much paperwork that needed to be done for this with cryptocurrency. It's, there's nothing like this. It's just, he's, we have a private agreement. We have a contract between two consenting adults. You know, he needs help with something. I'm a consultant. I help him with it. I give him my knowledge, my expertise, my experience, and he pays for that time. So, we could have actually got it started three weeks earlier, saved himself $999.23 or something like this. And he mm. could have used that to provide for his family or take his own kids on vacation or do anything that he wanted in the world. But instead, it went to something that he had no control over. And you'll find so many examples like this in Latin America and in Africa and in certain parts of Asia where Maybe as North Americans, we don't really think about it. We don't really know or understand it because it's not an everyday piece of our lives. But these are like the number one reasons that Bitcoin has gone to Bitcoin as legal tender because the remittance fees going back and forth between the United States was absolutely ridiculous, like billions of dollars being wasted and going to Western Union, which is a really inefficient and ineffective system. And they implement something like this. And now these people who don't have so much means can use it to spend on their family and in more productive ways that are going to help them. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I I think actually that's one of the better arguments in favor of cryptocurrency and one that I've latched onto pretty much from the beginning because I do agree that part is very, very important. For me, the the biggest uh, problems, the biggest challenge with cryptocurrency was really the, the primary question, which was the question that was raised when 
And they thought they were answering it when, when Bitcoin first came out and when it, its advocates started to advocate for it, which was it would become the next major national or, or, or I'm sorry, international global currency. It would basically supplant the dollar, supplant the euro, supplant the, the central banking system. And that's the part that I'm skeptical about. Um, the parts that I'm, that I think are actually cool are the other parts. I mean, certainly anybody who lives, particularly you mentioned Africa, you know, there are many African countries where monetary system that, that is in play there is in many cases out of control. Zimbabwe comes to mind, for instance. And, you know, when you live in a country like that, you, you're desperate for a currency that, you know, it, regardless of whether it retains its value, at least gives you the ability to live. Whereas the other currency doesn't, the other kind of currency basically steals all your livelihood from you. So yeah, in those situations, a cryptocurrency certainly could be a godsend. Um, I think the, the question that goes along with this in my mind though is since our global monetary system is basically run by the dollar through the Fed and the euro through the European banking system and to a lesser extent, the, the British pound and a few other, um, currencies like that, since that's where all the power is, they see crypto coming along. They already have rung the alarm bells. Right now, you're able to conduct those transactions off, basically off their books, because that's really what you're doing when you're avoiding those fees. You're, you're doing it off their books. And they think they put those, those taxes and rules and regulations in for good reasons. They're trying to stop money laundering. They're trying to, uh, balance economies. They're trying to do all this stuff that they consider to be very, very good. And they consider, um, Bitcoin to be a threat to all that and some of the other uh, major cryptocurrencies as well. So there's a lot of discussion going on right now within central banking cir- circles. There are central banks that are actually in the process of trying to create their own cryptocurrencies. They see that that's a trend, but they want to control the whole thing. So that I'm setting all that up to ask you a rather pointed question. What do you think happens as they start to weigh into the marketplace to something like Bitcoin and particularly when they weigh in with, with regulating Bitcoin? Do you think they succeed? Do you think they fail? What do you think plays out there? Well, I think you're making an assumption that they're going to try to regulate Bitcoin. And in my research and what I've seen, they're not doing that. What they're trying to do instead is regulate the on-ramps and the off-ramps for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Fair, fair point. Yep. So I think that it's going to be very difficult to regulate Bitcoin itself. Mm-hmm. Now, making more regulations on BlockFi and Kraken and all of these types of exchanges, I think that's where they're going to be putting their their efforts. Now, right. a lot of these are already disclosing information to the tax authorities, but there's no reason that people need to participate in these types of things. And I'm not telling people to go and money launder, and certainly that's not what we're doing. Um, I have no tax responsibilities for any of this, and far as my understanding is, and you know, in my example, it wasn't um, getting outside of uh, currency controls or anything like that. These are fees which, which are imposed by the banks, so on the remittance. So I think that it's going to be very, very difficult to regulate Bitcoin itself or any other type of cryptocurrency, especially if you start having a conversation about any type of privacy coins or ones that are just so far ahead of what the centralized governments are doing. And you are right that they are trying to bring in their own cryptocurrencies. Now, this is a power grab because they want to have more control. They have no interest in relinquishing any type of control. And I think that there is a massive fight on our hands. But 
will they be able to succeed or, or exactly what their plans are or how they're doing it? I, I really couldn't speculate on that. Yeah, well, that's fair enough because none of us really know. We won't know until they actually take their steps. Um, I, th- I think it's fair to say they're not going to give up without a fight. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, but you that. can look at some countries in the world who are actually fully adopting this. So you have areas in Switzerland that you can pay your income tax in cryptocurrency. We mentioned El Salvador already. Panama has come forward and said that you can settle any debt, uh, personal or private, uh, or sorry, personal or state, um, in BTC and Bitcoin. Um, and we're seeing more countries. We see the Central African Republic that are going to be making this, which is, I think, the second poorest country on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to follow over the next 20, 30, 40 years yeah. as this progresses and what happens to the economy and how people react to it. You know, we're, it's a giant experiment and I'm, I'm really excited to allow this to happen and flourish and let entrepreneurship go where it will and, you know, and let these different projects flourish. And I think you're right to name uh, some of the more poor countries because they are the ones where their central banks have manipulated currency so badly that, uh, you know, the population suffers tremendously as a result. So they're going to be ripe for something like a Bitcoin to come along. And I suspect that's where the biggest inroads will be made for sure. I was in Lebanon two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And I mean, the inflation is at Roughly seventeen hundred percent annually. One really is that high in Lebanon? Wow, yeah, I didn't in, know that. This is what I was told. Inflation is at seventeen hundred percent. Unemployment is at sixty percent. They've lost the SWIFT system, so they have no international banking. Visa and Mastercards don't work there unless it's in really specific places. Hmm. Like the country is an absolute mess, and it's such a shame because it's a gorgeous country with amazing people there with a hmm. really rich history. You mentioned Zimbabwe. I've been to Zimbabwe. I've seen what that is like myself. Um, we need an alternative. Like there is no question about it. You're not going to be able to change these governments and what's happening or, uh, you know, politics is not going to work for this. We need something no. that's completely separate. Yeah, this I is, agree. It's so different than what most people would know and understand. This is very good. Um, the, the, one of the things that frustrates me about doing this segment is I tend to do it an hour before I do the regular podcast for LOA today, which usually means I don't get a full hour out of it. And I can tell the same thing's going to happen here, but we'll, we'll get in <laughs> as much as we can because I'm enjoying this conversation. I think listeners are enjoying it too. So, okay. Well, we've touched on, um, some of the issues involved with crypto. Let's talk about the immigration side because you focus on that with your practice and that that's like the, the focus of your business. I imagine. There's quite a bit of demand for help with that. I suspect that the demand covers a wide range of areas. It's, pr- it's probably not just like one, one solution fits all. It's probably very individualized. Um, but are... talk about, talk about some of the same things you deal with there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What normally happens with my clients is they kind of fit into one of two buckets. Okay. I have the people who are done with the, Can- uh, with Canada, done with the United States. They want to move overseas whether that be the reasons we talked about before or they don't like the political situation or the direction of the government or standing on the military or whatever that might be for them, they're done. They mm. want to leave, but they don't know where. You don't, they don't know how. They yeah. don't know, you know, what works, what doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's kind of like bucket number one. Bucket number two is they want to have a plan B. They want to have a residency. They want to have a second passport. They want a bank account or a company formation or precious metals held offshore or a brokerage account or cryptocurrency offshore. 
in case they need it, in case they need to actuate the plan and the plan B becomes the plan A Mm. and they leave. And what this does, I have seen for a lot of my clients is it really allows them to sleep soundly at night. They know that their family is protected, that if something gets worse, if, if things get really bad, they have a backup plan and they can leave. So I kind of consider it like political insurance. Okay. <laughs> that's clever. I like that. That's, that's how I like to think about it. This is political insurance. We have, we have insurance for, you know, our house burns down or we get into an mm-hmm. automobile accident or something like this. This is our political insurance. The key is though that the insurance needs to be put in place beforehand, not after. Mm-hmm. So people come to me. I work as a consultant and I have a number of different tracks that I take them down. And it really doesn't matter to me from which side they're coming from. We can work on both sides, either bucket number one or bucket number two. And sometimes I have clients who go through the whole process, hire me, we get things and they decide, you know what? It's not for me. I'm going to stay where I am. Mm -hmm. But at least in their mind, they've explored this. They've learned about it. They really know what's going on now. And now it's like, you know what? I made an informed decision that this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Other people, it's okay. We've sold our house. It's closing in 90 days. I don't know where to go or what to do. It's like, and I get them and it's like, okay, we got a lot of work to do. So, you know, we basically create a giant matrix of all of their likes, wants, and needs, what they're after, what their financial situation is like, what their family history is like. So if they can get a second residency or second passport passport based on their ancestry, what that might be, you know, are we going to buy a second passport? It's called citizenship by investment. Are we just going to get them a permanent residency and do naturalization and try to get them a passport that way? Is there a business that we need to restructure and move offshore? What are the tax obligations of the country that you're leaving? What are the tax obligations of the country that you're moving to? What are the tax obligations of the country that you might have something structured in? You know, we have to go through many, 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 many different things on this mm-hmm. and, and work the plan. So it takes one, two, three, four, five calls, hours to come up with a plan. And once they say, okay, Mikel, this is it. I like it. This is, let, let's make it happen. Then I started introducing them to my team, the lawyers that I work with, all of my partners, and we take a call with them and we start going through and we start engaging their services and working the plan. And it takes three, four months, six months sometimes to go through, but the transformation in their life is unbelievable. And Walt, I swear to God, you can see over the calls, suddenly their, their shoulders start to, Mm -hmm. you know, settle and drop and they, you know their change in their voice and everything. Like they start to really feel good as these pieces come together and they can really see. And while it's happening, you know, everything's a little bit crazy. There's a lot of paperwork and things like that. But at the end of it, it's such a transformation and their whole life is different. And it's such a beautiful thing to watch and be there at that exact moment when everything changes for them. And they realize that their life will never be the same that they have this huge adventure in front of them. Mm. I don't know. I just get, I get such a kick out of it. Like, I just think it's, it's so neat. And I I really think that they will remember me for the rest of their life as being like their guide, you know, their Sherpa to kind of walk them through this path. Yeah. It's really cool. I think it's cool too. I love it. In fact, uh, you're, you're giving us a perspective. You're giving me, I'll put it this way. You're giving me a perspective that's a little different on the same topic from what I've experienced 
elsewhere because you see it from the meat and potatoes. Let's get all the ducks in a row. How do we make this happen viewpoint? Whereas I've heard about it from, you know, friends and so forth. I have a friend, for instance, who moved to Belize and, you know, she had to go through a fair amount, but it was nothing like what you're describing here. So I got to hear the other part of the story, but I didn't get to hear this part of the story. Mm -hmm. Hearing this part of the story just kind of reinforces, oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff that you have to deal with when you're, when you're doing all this. And, and I say this because you, you mentioned perspectives. You've said, you've referred to perspectives quite a few times here. One of my favorite topics, because I really do believe that the more perspectives we can gain in life, the more well-rounded we become, the more tolerant we become. And I believe also the happier we become. I believe we, we become better, happier, more abundant, more productive individuals. So I love the fact that you're talking about that particular piece as well, the perspective piece. But that perspective of seeing what, not just what it's like, but also helping people get through it. That's, that's a lot more than a hobby at that point. That is, it's, it's into lifestyle territory. It's obviously a business for you, but it's more than that for you, isn't it? This, this is, this is like, this is the basis of life for you right now. Uh, and it has been for a long time. You know, I, I don't know. Calling purpose. Mm. I'm not sure. Those are very esoteric words, but right. it does kind of feels like it, you know, yeah. it kind of feels like it. It's very cool. And, and it just, it just talking to you, it's evident from the look on your face. You're loving it. You're yeah. absolutely adoring that you're doing all this stuff. Well, the cool thing is that we really have complete control what we do with our lives. As long as we don't hurt people, steal from them, you know, as long as we're honest and ethical, we can really do anything we want in our lives. So if you're going to build a life or, or a career or a job or, or a business, like make it something that you're super excited about. Now, I mean, there are realities. You need to create something that someone is going to pay for. You know, there's economics, but you would be surprised. Like there are specialists and experts and like, if you do things to a high level and you dedicate yourselves to it and you can really do anything and everything you want in the world. So why wouldn't you buy, build something that you absolutely love? Like I read and study about this. Okay. I read and study about it in my normal eight to 10 hour work day, five, six days a week, like working with clients, which is a complete learning experience every day on its own. But then at night, I still put in an audio book and putter around the house and do my stuff and do my stretching and my exercise and things like that. And I'm still studying about these types of things. And it's not like, oh, he, it's a phase. He's going to get out of it. It's like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, yeah, I think like, the phase <laughs> is pretty much stuck there. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, if you're going to be stuck in a phase, you might as well be one that you love. And that, that's what I keep getting from you over and over again, how much you're enjoying this. Um, as usual, of course, we're, we're starting to run short on time. I want to get a couple pieces of information from you to share with the public. First of all, for anyone who might be considering, you know, the idea of a move overseas or a plan B or something along that line, how do they find out more about your company? And how do they find out more about Mikel? Because, I mean, you're, you're a pretty interesting guy. I'm sure people want to find out. Sure. So my website is expatmoney.com. 
on there, you will see many different blog articles. Like I said, 200 episodes of the podcast. Uh, we do monthly webinars, uh, you know, tons and tons and tons of things. And that's, that's all free content. And I stand by all of it. It's really excellent stuff. I have a team of people that help me produce that staggering amount of content. And when you <laughs> see it, lot. you will realize how much content it is. Mm. So that is all completely free. And I encourage you to subscribe and check that out. If you guys need more one-on-one help, I do work with high net worth individuals uh, on the website on expatmoney.com. There's a big orange button in the top right-hand corner. It says work with us. Uh, there's a big letter there. Read that. There's an application form at the bottom. You can apply to work with me. I am in a very good financial position. I don't have to say yes to everybody, but for those people who really need help and have the financial means and the dedication and the the, the drive to make this change, then I am here to help you. So those are the, that's the, the main thing. I will also mention that we are doing a online summit. It is November uh, 7th to the 11th. It's free to attend. We're expecting 30,000 um, attendees. We have people like Doug Casey and Ron Paul and other really big names who I'm, I'm very lucky to call friends of mine who have agreed to come and speak. Um, as I said, it's completely free. You can register and get your ticket right now. It's at expatmoneysummit.com, expatmoneysummit.com. If you guys want a whole heap of bonuses and extra stuff, uh, some really cool perks, there is a VIP ticket. Um, you know, if that speaks to you, then I encourage you to grab that. But if not, come and check out this, the summit for free at expat money summit and. That's it. I think you're going to find lots of stuff there, Walt. Lots of stuff. That's cool. And we'll, we'll include uh, links in the show notes to make it easier for people to find those as well. Um, I, there's one other question I want you to answer before we go, even though we're kind of short on time here. So if you can keep it short, that'd be great. But uh, you, as you mentioned, you, you tend to work with high net worth individuals. There are going to be some people, of course, who don't have the means to hire somebody personally to help with something like this, but they're still interested in pursuing that. Give them uh, like an idea of where, where, the, where should they be doing, giving their attention? What, what should they be paying attention to? What, where should they should get their information in order to figure out how to get there? Cause they're going to have to do it pretty much on their own at that point. Yeah. I would say that the resources on my website at expatmoney.com is an absolute gift. This did not exist. This, this type of information, first of all, doesn't exist pretty much anywhere else online, not this culmination of resources. Now, if it did, when I started as an expat, my life would have been considerably simpler. <laughs> no, sure. I had to go through this the hard way. But right. at expatmoney.com, I think you will find everything that you need. And, you know, if it's a small thing, you know, or if you just need an introduction, you say to me, hey, I want to get my residency in Panama. I want to get my residency in Nicaragua. You shoot me an email. No problem. I'm happy to pass your name along or shoot you over to one of my lawyers or something like that. But for the people who really need like the overall plan and all of the tax issues and everything that goes into it, you, you, you got to work with a professional, you know, mm. and I, as far as I know, there's no one else who does the very specific type of work that I do. So, well, on behalf of those who you are, who, who you work with directly, thank you. And also on behalf of the people who will be looking at your website and picking up information, I like to, to do this with a lot of my guests now. On behalf of the people who you will never meet, who you'll never see, who pick up that information, thank you for putting that out there. Thank you for helping them. Even though you'll never see the help you, you gave them, you know, I'm sure you know, deep in your heart of hearts, you're helping a lot of people. And I want to thank you on their behalf. That's really touching, Walt, because um, as a content producer yourself, you probably know that 
and a lot of times it's kind of a thankless job. Mm. You work really hard. You spend hundreds of hours, thousands of hours putting out stuff and you don't get to see the results. I think that's why I like the consulting so much because I do get sure. to see the results. That's one of the main reasons that I work one-on-one with people because I like to see that transformation. But yeah, thank you. That's very kind. Well, very much appreciated too. And thank you for joining me on the show today. This has been a great conversation. You've taught me some stuff that I didn't even know you could do. <laughs> That's really cool. I love that. So thank you very much and all the best to you and, and to your team and to your family going forward. I, I, I wish you nothing but the best. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much, Paul. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners. We'll see you all next time here on The Crypto Skeptic and here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. 